One of the greatest discoveries you'll ever make as a child of God is that God actually wants to use your life in a personal way to add to His kingdom. He wants to use you. Every individual, not some special called class of professional ministers. I hope He's using us too. But God wants to use every person in this room who calls themselves God's child. He has a plan to work through your life in a very unique way to add to the kingdom of God. Amen. And this morning, because we have guests, we want to take a break from the Apostles' Creed. And this is really what we want to talk about. We want to talk about missions because it plays right into having our friend here this morning. And maybe a little bit about our church's model of missions and a little bit about what we've done in the past. And many of you are new here and you're looking for that missionary board out of the foyer with push pins and yarn and, and, and mission letters and all that. And you're like, well, uh, we've joined this church and maybe it doesn't have a missions program. Oh, a contraire. We do, but uh, we just don't have yarn, okay? We've got something different. Uh, most uh, churches approach missions... When I say missions, foreign missions is really what I'm saying. Because missions is happening right here, and I want to talk about that in a minute. But foreign missions, which we just call missions, typically being a Christian is very confusing. There's just too much terminology, okay? But when we talk about missions, foreign missions, most churches approach foreign missions as a subcontracting scheme. Okay? This is the approach that I, it's my tradition. I grew up in this. The Baptists were the kings of this, okay? It's a subcontracting scheme whereby Christians outsource their individual responsibility to expand the kingdom of God to professional missionaries who are going away to a foreign country. In other words, most Christians never lead a soul to Christ. Most Christians never make a disciple. Most Christians don't bring people into the house of God to hear and be changed. and tra- That's the exception, not the rule. And most Christians, when they hear us talking about the Great Commission or leading the world to Christ or expanding the kingdom, they flip a switch in their mind and say, because I gave in the offering, I have therefore outsourced my responsibility before God to expand the kingdom of God. We pay missionaries to do that is kind of the concept that most of, well, I would say my tradition that I came from as Baptist, and I I would assume all of our traditions, if you're evangelical in any way, follow that same similar type of model. However, I want to challenge you this morning. Jesus is our personal Lord and Savior. (laughs) He didn't die generically for people. He died for me. (laughs) He died for you. He rose again for you, and you can't generically be saved for other people. It has to be a personal decision. You have to say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God, making you the Lord of my life. I receive you as my Savior. It's a very, very personal thing, and God has given to each of us a personal vocation now that we are saved, now that we are His children. He's given each one of us a personal vocation of making disciples, and expanding the kingdom of God. At Cornerstone, being on mission. Now, I'm not talking about foreign countries. I'm talking about right here. Being on mission is a personal thing. And uh, this is a nail I try to hit as often as I can hammer it. Because we all have so much baggage from our past, 
We need to hear very repetitively in our ear and so that it will sink down in our heart that being on mission is a personal thing. And missions is making disciples. That's all it is. That's all we're talking about. We talk about foreign missions. You know what we're talking about? Doing somewhere else what we're all supposed to be doing right here. That's all missions is. We're sending somebody, when you say a missionary, you're sending somebody to do what all of us should be doing right here. And so I don't want you to disconnect missions from what we do right here in Fort Worth, right here in North Texas, right here in Tarrant County. We, we are following Christ. We are being discipled, many of you. You're making disciples, many of you. And that is the mission for all of us to be engaged in. Whether we are doing missions in the concrete jungles of North Texas, and boy, they need to be pouring some concrete because I'm not loving 35 yet. Keep putting the billboard up, but I don't love it yet. Okay? Whether we're making disciples right here in this concrete jungle or whether he's making them in a banana jungle, it's the same mission. We're called to share the gospel and make disciples. And uh, see if I can illustrate it in a simple way where we can grasp it and, and take it home with us. God's calling each of us to engage our circle. So I just want you to think about your circle of life, your circle of relationships. God wants you to engage your circle by modeling. Now, I'm using careful language, not preaching. Preaching gets us nowhere. I just want you to know that. Your co-workers do not want to hear you sermonize. Your classmates do not want to hear you sermonize. They want to see something before they hear much of something, okay? And if they're seeing something, then we are called to model the life of Christ and then declare in kind language and with loving actions everyone in our circle and show them how they can have a life-changing experience following Jesus Christ. The key to reaching the world for Christ is not foreign missions. It's starting in your own circle. It's starting in our own circle. Just for a minute, let me see if I can awaken you to this idea. Have you ever considered who's in your circle? I think it might be good before I articulate this list. Sometime maybe in reflection and meditation this week, in your devotion time, sit down with a journal, a piece of paper, a sonic napkin, whatever you got handy, and just start writing down the names of the people that are in your circle. Now, we meet here, Alan, I think you led, uh, elder-led prayer here Wednesday night. We meet here every Wednesday night for prayer at 7 o'clock. We'd love for you to come and join us. It'd be, be a fascinating experience if you've never, never done this. We, we'll break into small groups and pray together. It's a wonderful, wonderful time. This week, we're praying for all of our teenagers that are going to camp by name, as well as some other needs of, of the church. But it would be fascinating to have a list of people who are in your circle that you could use in your daily prayer time. And whether you do it every day or whether you do it Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or whether you do it on certain days of the week, just pull that list out and just spend 10 minutes praying through the list of people you know that they might know the Savior that you know. That they might be, that, that God might orchestrate an opportunity for a door to open so that you could articulate your faith in Christ to them because it does take the right door to open. You can't just go in guns a-blazing and kick down every door and start preaching Jesus to people. Things need to happen. But here's what I want to tell you. God does all of that supernaturally. 
Supernaturally, God is constantly arranging divine appointments in our lives. And you'll be having coffee and then just there is a thing presents itself. Just like that. Gosh, I was at Target this week and I was buying a shirt. I was in the men's department at Target. And I'm standing there and somebody's grandmother walks up with a Target vest on and says, You're Pastor Harold. I said, Well, praise God, I am. And she said, I'm listening to the service every week via broadcast. I don't come to the church since, I guess, years, since COVID or whatever. She said, I long to be there. I work on Sundays, though, now, but I watch the broadcast every week. It's someone's grand-grand-grandmother that so knows somebody that comes here that's something. Her name's Jean, and I met her at Target. And praise God, an opportunity while you're standing there buying a, a shirt presents itself to talk about Jesus Christ. Now, what happened to me this week happens to all of us. If our eyes are open to it, it happens to all of us all the time. So let's talk about who's in your circle. First of all, your own family. They need to be at the top of your list when you're thinking about bringing people into the kingdom of God. This is Deuteronomy 6. We have the responsibility to reach our own family. But also the people at your workplace, the students at your school, those with whom you socialize. That could be a very broad list. This is forming out your circle now. I don't know if you've really ever stopped and sat down and made a list to consider how many people you know. And, and maybe even how you know them would be a second column on that list. I know them through school. I know them through college. You know, we, we go way back to high school. We, we met at work. I met them two, two jobs ago or another career ago. Or I, It's fascinating to see who all is in your circle. Think about your Christmas card list. This is your circle. Consider all of your social media contacts. How many do you have? Hundreds. Hundreds of contacts through social media accounts. This is your circle. Those clubs that you belong to. Susan, your gun club. That When you go shoot with the women, that's your circle. You didn't know that, did you? See, you learned something new by being at church with this morning. Your shift at work. That's your circle. The sports team you play on, I might even add the sports team your kids play on. There's a good connection. Your neighborhood, like me this week at Target, don't forget the businesses you frequent. Those people who serve you in different, different businesses. See, once you start really thinking about it, you've identified your circle and your circle is significant let me, let me ask you a question about the circle. You know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, truly. Every one of you do. Here, here's a question you may contemplate for a while this week. Do the people in your circle know that Jesus is in your circle? Do all of those people in your circle know that Jesus is there also? Now, and I'm not saying go home and post on Facebook, I'm a follower of Jesus, and if you don't post this 37 times, you're going to fry in hell. That's not getting anybody anywhere, okay? You can just stop all of that. And I'm not going to hell if I don't repost it, by the way. You're messing with the gospel now, okay? Uh, so I, I get offended by all that. Sorry. Just get me on a rant here in a minute if you keep poking at me. All right, so what I'm saying, though, is do the people in your circles that you move about, do they know that Christ is a very real part of your life and a very important figure in your life and the prominent relationship in your life? 
Now, we all have different size circles. And I want to say a, a word because most of our church is 30s average age. I want to say a word. When I start talking about social circles here, maybe yours isn't as expanded as Tommy's or Allen's or one of these ancient guys in our church, okay? Because some of that just comes with time, truly. Over a lifetime, listen, you can make more contacts in 50 years than you can in 20 years, okay? And so you just have more opportunity and the circles get larger. Part of what's happening here this morning is I'm pulling you in a little bit to my circle. I have a large circle of influence, especially when it comes to influence on foreign pastors, foreign relationships. It's because I have 30 years, 30 years of mentoring and discipling people in faraway places, Americans, yes, but foreigners as well. And my friends around the world open doors to make more friends around the world, open doors to make more friends around the world. And in this way, I'm trying to use my circle to build the kingdom of God. And I get, even as I'm talking about missions today, and I'm talking about what we've done and how I've interacted with Johnny and our, our church ministry, I don't want you to sit back and say, yeah, pastor, but that's your circle, not mine. Because you have a circle, well, and, and you're part of my circle. You all are part of this circle of missions that we're talking about this morning. And I get that you're not me. And I would never put that on you. My circle is my responsibility. I'll own that. Okay? I know a lot of people you don't know in faraway places. That's on me to disciple them and to influence them for Christ. And I'm not trying to project that to you. All I'm trying to project to you this morning is my circle is my responsibility. So therefore your circle is your Correct. And that's what I want everyone to take ownership of this morning. Mine is my responsibility and yours is your responsibility, but together we are all the church. So here's the thing. All of those who are way out on the edge, we share the burden of preaching. So I'll get my circle and you get your circle, but between us we've got some relationships that are kind of on the fringe out here or way out there somewhere. We know people in France and in China and in Burma, and in the Philippines, and in Korea. We know some people way out there who still don't know Christ. So how are we going to get those people? Well, the way we're going to get those people is this way. The people that are way far out and very difficult to reach, we're going to share the burden as a church of reaching those people. And this has been the practice of the New Testament church since the book of Acts. This is Acts. This is how it's done. When Christ founded the church, he said, all right, we're going to get Jerusalem, but then some of you are going to Judea, some of you are going to Samaria, and then we're going to get Paul over to Europe, and then we're going to, we're going to keep pushing it out. But the church at Antioch was the one that was sharing the burden to make it all happen. And our goal at Cornerstone has never to been to just to raise up hundreds of worshipers and church attenders on Sunday morning. That's fine and well, but our goal is something bigger. Our goal is to raise up hundreds of disciple-makers from our congregation who can go reproduce themselves in hundreds of disciples over a lifetime to reach our community. Amen. And I believe every week of your life, God is giving you opportunities to show the love of God to your circle, kind language, loving acts, gracious attitudes, to speak kindness, encouragement, peace, and love into your circle. 
Have you ever noticed when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John how often Jesus ministered by meeting the needs of those in his circle? In other words, need meeting was kind of the way he began to engage a lot of people. He would encounter them at the point of need and he would meet the need and like a key that unlocks the heart, suddenly they were open to hearing the truth of who he was and the gospel then sprang into their lives. Jesus gave people food. He gave people health care. He gave people comfort, encouragement, love, comfort in loss. It's not always about material giving. A lot of it's emotional giving. It's about loving people and caring for people. In Acts 17, where Paul is preaching again, verse 27, he says this, His purpose was for the nations to seek after God. God wants the nations to be saved. He wants them to seek after Him. Perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Though He is not far from any one of us. Now, I've been messing with your, your version of heaven, haven't I, over the last few weeks? Been challenging you a little bit on that. And we'll talk more about it. Don't, don't, don't freak out, okay? But I've been challenging your view of heaven. Is God very, very, very far away up there in heaven? According to the Bible, he's very, very, very near to each of us. Think dimensionally, not geographically. He's very, very near to each of us. If we could just feel for him, he's right there. Let let me say it in a little bit different language. Christ is not far from others because we are not far from others. What the Bible teaches is, is the world doesn't know Christ, but we know Christ, and Christ is living in us. And if we're near to them, we, we become a hot spot. We become a place where they can get free Wi-Fi. You know what I'm saying? You can connect. If you could get close to Jeff Jared, you could get close to God because Jeff knows how to lead you to God. Does that make sense? If you get close to Johnny... He knows how to take you to the throne and present the gospel and show you the love of God, both in word, in modeling his life, in speech. And if we could just get close to God's people, they become conduits, points of access where we can reach God. Let me ask you a very important question. I'm going to move very quickly. Do you have any disciples in your circle? You have disciples in your circle. This is a very important question for every cornerstoner, okay? Cornerstoner? That sounds really druggy, doesn't it? <laughs> I just thought cornerstoner. We need to come up with a better name, okay? <laughs> For every cornerstone person, you need disciples in your circle. If you don't have disciples in your circle, this fall is your time. This is your time. We're coming into your season now. People are ready to take their mask off and look at you across the kitchen table. We're ready now to engage in discipleship. And I want to give you just the most fundamental teaching I can give you about Christianity. We cannot call ourselves followers of Christ unless we are following Christ. There's a big disconnect on this in America right now. You can't call yourself a follower of Christ unless you're actually following Christ. And and I'm, I'm not trying to speak in a riddle, I'm just saying the obvious is the obvious. And we can't claim to be followers of Christ if we're not doing the things that Jesus did. 
And, and I realize there could be some pushback, especially for some very young couples who are just getting started in life. And you might say, Pastor, my circle is really small. Oh, well, praise God. Jeremy would be thrilled to talk to you. Very thrilled to talk to you. Be, because if your circle is small, small circles are super effective. A, a small circle, it's actually the name of our discipleship curriculum, small circle A small circle is the most effective tool for making disciples. Meaning, if you just have one, that's the smallest circle, you and somebody, or you and somebody and somebody, that little tight-knit group of people is the most effective way to make disciples. You constantly see Jesus with 12. Anybody watching the Chosen series? You constantly see Jesus with the group, but what does he do? Hey, Matthew, come with me. Hey, John, come with me. Hey, he pulls one or two aside, has a little moment, does a little thing, models, models, not sermonizes, models something for them. They watch how he interacts with people. They watch what he's saying, how he's dealing, what he's doing. And this is how you learn to be a Christian. Not from attending church and being preached to for 50 years. Which is good. I'm not saying you shouldn't come to church. Yes, come to church. You need to be preached to and I'll do a good job of it, okay? But I'm just saying, that will not ultimately transform your life uh, an hour on Sunday. It's that modeling moment that becomes pivotal to us. And when all of our small circles come together, they form a thing called the church. How cool is this? It's a community called a church. And there are churches all over Texas and all over the world. And all of those big circles come together to make an even bigger circle called the church. Remember the Apostles' Creed that we're doing? I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, which means universal church, not Roman Catholic Church. It means all of these circles are connected everywhere on planet Earth. And they form a thing called Jesus Universal Church. Which makes you understand a lot of people follow Christ and they don't believe exactly everything alike. The big things are the important things. We can fight about the little things till the cows come home and we won't change the world. But when we realize the gospel is sitting at the center of everything we believe, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scripture. And he was seen by hundreds of witnesses. And he ascended to heaven. That creedal kind of thought that we can distill it down to. This is at the core of everything that holds this church and the churches together into the church of Jesus Christ. Now, with this in your mind, we have always held, it has always been true for all Christians of all brands, that they believe the church should be global. Let me read you a verse. But you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And he says, right here at home, Jerusalem, and in Judea, the region, and then to Samaria, the other regions around us, and then to the uttermost parts of the world, of the earth. The Bible has always held that Christ wanted his church to be global. And since you all comprise the church, your circle is my circle. This is the way I think about it. Uh, Our circles are interconnected, overlapping. We are the church. It's a big circle full of lots of little circles of influence. And all of our circles are connected through us. 
And I take great care over your circle of friends. Your family, your children are back there being taught about Jesus now. We take great concern over your children knowing Christ. We take great concern Wednesday and Sundays over your teenagers knowing Jesus Christ and being followers of Christ. I don't have teenagers in the youth department. But you have teenagers in the youth department. And that's why we'll be on our knees here Wednesday night praying for your teenagers because your circle is our circle. Now, that should really warm your heart if you're a member of this church. Somebody's praying for your family. Somebody's concerned for your family. We're here to help one another in these interlocking circles. And collectively, our reach as a church goes from David's furthest relationship trying to see who's in the back, to Curtis's furthest relationship, to Leah's furthest relationship, to Becky Wortley's furthest relationship, to Craig Houston's furthest relationship, to my furthest relationship, which is sitting right there. And so now our circle extends, Johnny, to your furthest relationship. Because we take great concern that your people are going to heaven with us. Take great concern that they know Jesus the same way We know Jesus. Now this last step is foreign missions. All of the rest of it is just the mission we're on. Does that make sense? And when we talk about Johnny doing something in India, he's just going to do what we do right here, albeit with different style of clothing and a different, you know, climate and a different set of geography. Those on the furthest edge of our relationships need to know Jesus just as much as those in the inner ring of our relationship. We want people to know Jesus Christ. But here's the difference in the, in the circles. Those in our near circle are easy to reach. They're easy to reach. Let me just say logistically at least. Logistically we see them. <laughs> they're, they're accessible. They're right here. And those in your inner circle are logistically easy to reach. The furthest relationships we have are the most difficult to reach because it costs a lot more money to reach those people. It costs a lot in terms of dangerous circumstances to reach those people. It costs a lot because it's restricted access to get into those places to reach those people. So the question becomes for our church, how do we reach those who are far away? Now I'm talking about foreign missions. How do we reach those who are far away? Now, I just want to slow down a hair right here. This will take about two minutes before I bring Johnny up, okay? How do we reach those who are far away? Every church has to answer this question as an individual church. There is no one-size-fits-all answer to this question, okay? Different churches do missions differently. I'm talking about foreign missions now. They do it differently, and that's fine. I am not being critical at all, Okay? But Cornerstone also answers this question in a unique way, maybe differently than your previous church experience. The Cornerstone methodology is twofold. We have two two points of impact in foreign missions. We believe you reach those on the furthest edge best by short-term mission projects, and by making indigenous disciples from foreign countries. So now here's how our missions model is different. We do tons of short-term mission projects, and we make lots of disciples who have brown faces, 
That's how we do it. And that's a, a few twists on the model. For us, it has proven to be the most economical, efficient, sustainable, and reproducible model our church has ever used. And we've used several over the life of this church. And what it means to each of us this morning is that we're all going to give. It's a given. We're all going to pray. We're all going to make disciples right here in our circles. And some of you are going out on short-term mission projects. How many in this room have been on a CBC missions project like this? Let's just see the hands. Hold them just a second because I want to look across the room. I want to look across the room. That's India, 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 India. Andy Baker, is that you? India. Wortley, is that you back there? India, right? Craig, India. India, Romania. India, Jeff Jarrett, I've seen your face. Uh, Mexico, about to be Nicaraguan, Costa Rica. Romania. People have been around that are members of this church. Our goal is for you to be one of these hands. Short-term mission project, while everybody gives and everybody prays. Now, let me tell you the crisis we're in as a church. Crisis. Let me tell you the challenge we face as a church. I'll soften that a little bit. The challenge we face as a church is simply this. You see how old Alan is? <laughs> J.D. Rudder. Rick Wortley just retired. He's way old. <laughs> Let me use Rick as an example. Rick and Becky have been on many, many of these excursions to the jungle. Rick, and I'll just use you as an example because it's true of all these others too. Rick's led, Rick personally has led hundreds, and I mean hundreds of people to Jesus Christ in a foreign country, okay? And Rick, you know, I'm, I'm just playing fun with you right now, but Rick's old. We don't know how many miles are left on that <laughs> chassis back there called Rick Wortley. Now, I, I'm 53. I feel like I've got some good miles left, but I want to tell you, I've got some miles. I have got some big miles on this vehicle, okay? Um, and it takes a toll on you. It, it ages you. Uh, I have had all kinds of scarlet fever. I mean, staff, and I don't even want to tell you all the stuff I've got traveling and doing mission work. I have been, I've abused the body a little bit doing this, and Johnny could sure bear witness to this. Johnny and I have slept in the same bed. Johnny and I have slept on the same floor. Johnny and I have inhaled a lot of India's dust, and we've eaten a lot of rice. I broke two teeth. Eating rolled, what's the rolled rice? You know the stuff rolled flat? It looks like oats. They roll it flat and you just put a little gravy on it because you're so poor you can't afford anything else. Poor man's rice. You thought rice was poor man. Poor man's rice. Uh, you don't even boil it. You just throw a little water on it eat it raw. I found two rocks in that over the years. Knocked two teeth out of my back of my mouth with that. I'm going to send you a bill, Johnny. All right, here's what I'm trying to say. I don't want to digress. I don't want to digress. 
I'm about to tell you what we've done missionally as a church in the next 30 minutes, okay? But the people who've done it are aging. We are aging. So we're about to have to enter into a new phase of our two-pronged approach, short-term mission projects and making foreign disciples. We're going to keep doing But the team that has done so much that you're about to see is getting long in the tooth. And I want to challenge Cornerstone this morning. Now, Rick, what do you do for a living before you did nothing for a living? Huh? uh, Becky, what do you do? Dispatcher? Is that your title? Alan? Alan, what do you do? For a school district. J.D., you in here? What do you do for a living? He's an air conditioning guy. Jeff, what do you do for a living? Digital marketing guy. Andy Baker, what do you do for a living? It's all kinds of people. These are just people who love the Lord. And what I'm saying to you is we have a very young church. The average age of Cornerstone families is 31 years old. We have an aging short-term missions team. The team that we train to do what we do, and they've been doing it for the last 20 years, they're getting to be old people now. Now, they got some miles. A few, they got maybe one trip left before they died, but what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, while the world is recovering from COVID, we can't hardly travel right now. We got a few trips trying to open up here in the fall, but Asia's completely slammed shut right now. Completely slammed shut right now. And while the world is recovering from COVID in the next few years, actually, I want you to know where my mind is going to be and where I want your heart to be. It's time to raise up a new team of 20 and 30-year-olds who are passionate about making disciples on the furthest edges of the world. And we're going to be trying to develop a team of 20 and 30 year olds over the next two years who can be the Rick Wortleys and the Jeff Jarreds and the Bobby Harrells of the world. And when we can't go, you're going. Now don't be scared because we're going to train you well. And we're going to coach you up good and we're going to take you and show you and and nobody needs to fear, but I need you to be willing to surrender to that mission. Some of you are brilliant in money matters. And I need every member of Cornerstone giving a little above your tithe every week, a little above your offering, put it into missions. Some of you are so brilliant, money matters. Listen, you're making good investments right now. You're playing the stock market. Open a separate account and call it your your missions account and start day trading for Jesus. Some of you are brilliant in this. Start making some extra investment and give it to missions. Those who can, leverage your dollar-for-dollar company match. We'll show you how to do that if your company does that. Uh, If you're involved in a business venture, get your business tithing and giving into the work of the Lord. Will a portion of your estate to Jesus Christ through this church. Make the church the beneficiary of your insurance policy or one of them. Donate your stock. We have people setting up right now to start donating stock from their stock account. Listen, you can give that tax-free to the church. You never have to withdraw it and pay the capital gains on it. You slide it right into the church account. Your giving just went up 30%. Just 
like that. And some of you are very sharp, and if you need help with that, we've got lots of people who will help you. Some of you, conversely, are in your 20s and 30s. And we're asking you this morning to dedicate yourself to be a part of the short-term mission team of Cornerstone. We'll train you, we'll invest in you, but you're going to have to be willing to sacrifice time away from your family. You're going to have to be willing to sacrifice your vacation away from your, your vocation, your regular job. It is going to be hard on your health. You're going to have to sacrifice your comfort. But sweeping thousands of people into the kingdom of God will be worth every sacrifice you make for Jesus Christ. And that's my challenge to you. Guys, if you can help us with some chairs. Johnny, I want you to come up. Jeremy, you in the room, come up and give me a hand as well. I'm going to grab a couple of pieces of paper. And for a few minutes, let us introduce you to Johnny. Thank you, Garrett. Johnny, why don't you get right here in the middle? We'll get you a chair. Thanks, Cameron. Be careful when you sit. Yeah, make sure they're down solid or we're going to do a flip here. Thank you. For those who haven't had a chance to meet uh, Johnny, uh, this is Johnny. And, and, and while we, we sit here and introduce Johnny, I want to put a graphic up on the screen if you guys in the booth are tracking with me still. I want to put a dollar number, a dollar figure up. Uh, the, the average amount it takes to win a convert on a foreign field is $330,000 per. If you take all Christian missions giving to all causes, and then the number of people that are uh, baptized at the other end of that on a foreign country, in a foreign country, they take the number of converts, divide it by the annual expenditure of foreign missions, and the average dollar that they get per convert is $330,000 per convert is what the Christians around the world are spending to lead people to Christ. That's a big number. That's a big number. And I want that just to be in your mind because it will come into the con con conversation here in just a moment. Johnny, where are you from? Hey, everyone. Good morning. Mm. My name is Johnny Kashung. I'm from Northeast India called Dankul tribe. I belong to Dankul tribe. I don't like a tribe word, but the Indian government give us a tribal. So we accept that. And I come from a very small village where there is no electricity, where there is no running water, where there is no doctor, where there is no font. But uh, before two years, the phone was already there now. And electricity was there now. So the phone just made it to your village two years ago? Yeah, two years ago. And there is no good school. Like, I studied in an English school, but most of the teachers does not speak English. Just only one or two out of 13 or 14 teachers. Alpha Christian English, English school, school, and yeah. no teachers speak English. Only two or three will speak English. So how do you learn English in an English school if nobody speaks English? I, I learned a little bit at my high school life, and when I went down to the southern India, in Piran, I learned there. And I learned some in, in my college. Paul's right there. You guys just start, start the queue on pictures for a second. All right, so Johnny's telling you where he's from. Johnny, what are we looking at? This is our community hall. This is city, village. city hall. City hall. That building was built somewhere about the time of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Still standing? Yes. Look just the same? Older than this now. Yeah. Yeah. These pictures we took some years ago. Maybe yeah, in 2009. 2009. Yeah. So probably looks just the same. 
<laughs> Dog's probably a little older now. Yeah. Other than that, <laughs> everything's the same. What, what's next on your feet up there? Uh, this is Johnny's church, right? Yes. What's it? Kachai Baptist Church. Name of your village is Kachai. Beautiful church. What's happening right here? We are doing here in America, you call us, you guys call us young adult camp. For us, that's a youth. For us, the youth is like 15 years to 30 years old. People are called youth at India. So we have a youth camp. So we have a youth camp, and we have all our church village people also there. Yeah. Go one more. Uh, this is inside the church building. Yeah. I just want you to see the dancers up dancing. When I talk to you about we, the dance and worship are very integrated in India. Uh, I just want you to see this and Johnny in a minute. Let's circle back to dance, okay? okay. And let's talk about this. Uh, let's go one forward again. Here's Rick Wortley. Right here. Yeah. There's Leah Harrell. Right so there. young. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hadn't changed a bit, has he? <laughs> Uh, this picture was taken because I'm there preaching that youth camp. I came in a week ahead of the team, and the team landed and drove up in the dark yeah. to Kachai. Yeah. Uh, from Imphal uh, Airport to the village of Kachai is what distance? 96 miles. So 100 miles. How long does it take to drive that 100 miles? Six hours or seven hours. Yeah. If it's rain, I think it will take more. To, more. More hours, like nine hours. So can you imagine what the road looks like? Yeah. You straight up the mountain, switch back, switch back, switch back, landslide, sheer drop of a thousand feet. It's a Jeep at 10 miles an hour, 15 miles an hour yeah. for six hours, over a hundred miles of rough terrain to get from the little airport. So just to contextualize, yeah. it's 11 hours to London. It's 11 more hours to Delhi by plane. You sleep on the airport floor, which we've done a few times with the team, catch a morning flight then to Imphal on a little puddle jumper. They land at the little airport in Imphal, yeah. terminals about the size of this room. Now you're six hours via Jeep up the mountain to get to the people. We are, when you guys arrived, I was giving the invitation and you guys walked in just as we lit the candles for candlelight service at this invitation. And if they look a little weary, that's the journey they just made all in one run. They're about ready to fall down. What's the next picture you have? Uh, this uh, is, go ahead and introduce. <laughs> this is my engagement ceremony. That's my wife. See, at that time I was very skinny. <laughs> that's how I was young yeah. when I met Buster. Yeah. I met Buster in 2005. This is Soya P. Soya P is his wife. Now, this is at the engagement ceremony. Go one more click, please. And yeah, I'm sitting right there in the room because what happened in this room, is that Horam? Yeah, that's Horam and that black one is my mom. Okay. Yeah. So at the engagement ceremony, someone speaks for the bride, yeah. someone speaks for the groom, and then we sign the book. Yeah. Like the Lamb's Book of Life that says you're officially engaged and they wrap the tribal wrapper around you. Soya's in her tribal rapper skirt yeah. right there and I bore witness to the ceremony and said some nice words about how this would probably last at least a week or two this marriage and, <laughs> and, and it would all work out when we talk to you about remember not to invite him to your engagement party <laughs> <laughs>
Here's what I want to say. It's a discipleship moment. Johnny was somebody I was investing in, and he arranged the ceremony when he knew I would be in the country doing camps. When your disciples are having life moments, now do you remember us talking to you about this? Funerals, weddings, quinceañeras, whatever, graduations, you need to be involved in your disciples' life moments. This was a life moment for Johnny and Soya Fee, and I was right there with them. Okay, go ahead. These are Johnny's people. There's the church in the background. We're on the top of the mountain. They're very much like American, Native, Native Americans. Is that obvious to you? Uh, and they're in their tribal wrapper, their gang colors right here. And uh, they're very distinguishable, Tongkul, from the other tribes. But gosh, I'm going to guess most of these village elders have already gone to be with the Lord by now. This yeah. was 20 years ago almost. Yeah. Most yeah. of them are already dead. Go one more forward. Uh, Americans in L.A. punk rock did not invent the Mohawk, <laughs> just in case you wondered. Uh, nor is it unique to Native American Indians. This is the hairstyle of the boys yeah. in Tonkul. Traditional hairstyle. Uh, and when they sing and dance, they're just about to break into dance right here. Uh, the dance will tell a story and of their way of life. They dress this way in... Before Christian. Pre-Christian. So yeah. 1890... The Christian come in 1894. So right at the turn of the century, this is what his people would have looked like if you had stumbled into the village right here. Yeah. One more forward. Oh, this is a side note. <laughs> uh, we were up there doing youth camp. Mom's famous at Kachai because they said, we're about to kill the pig for dinner. Would you come and help us? And they handed mom the shotgun. Go forward. Kaboom. <laughs> All right. Next. Yeah. Yeah. All right, go forward again. Okay, so I want you to see in the background now. Alpha Christian English School is yep. in the background. Yep. We're, get, we're getting close now to our destination. Go again. Here we go. Here we go. This is where you went to yeah, school. That's my school. This photo was taken in 2010, but the school was established in 1993. Yeah, I was there in 1994 to 1999, my high school. This is your high school? Yeah. I just want everybody to take that in for a minute. There's some teachers here. This is his high school. And it's packed. At least 500, 600 kids. 650 kids at that time. Yeah. yeah. When we were there, 650 kids go to school right there in that building. That building is the only thing. You're looking at the whole school right here. 650 students. Okay, probably looks just like this today, I bet. I bet much hasn't Maybe. changed. <laughs> Go forward again. All right, so it's a boarding school. Yeah. So in the jungle, the kids are coming? Yep. And as they're coming, they live here? They live here. Go home on the weekend or yeah. Go every home, other week? Go home every Friday evenings, and they come back Sunday evenings. And, and they, they, when they come back Sunday, they're bringing some the, food? Yeah, all their food they need to bring for one week. So does the school feed them at all? No. How do they prepare food? They cook by themselves. How young does a kid cook their own food? Some, like maybe nine years old, ten years old, they know how to cook. If you want to eat. Yeah, if you want to eat. If not, you will not survive there. Nobody is there to help you. Yeah, and they are working more than four hours, five hours to get their village. And walk. to come back, yeah, walk. To come back to school. A little different way of life than we're accustomed to. 
Well, you're looking at the girls' hostel. This is where 250 young ladies live yeah. from this big to 16, 15 17, years, 16, 15 yeah. years old. Okay. 250 girls live in this building. Let me take you inside. Oh, I'll take you inside in a minute. <laughs> we're on top of the, there's the school in the background. And because when we were there, there was no water yeah. for 500, 650 kids. And we were there, and Americans go through water like crazy. Uh, so they gave each kid a bucket, marched them. How close is the river nearby? 30 minutes walk. 30 minutes walk. Yeah. Down the mountain, Down every the kid scoops up a bucket of water, brings it back up, climbs the mountain with a bucket of water. And some of these, most of these are little girls yeah. carrying water so that they dump it into the cistern and then everybody can bathe and whatever. Okay, now go forward again. Let's go in the girls' hostel. Here we go. This is inside a girls' boarding hostel. 250 girls live here side by side, cheek by jowl right here in this room. It looks like the ends there are pretty porous. I can see right through the end wall down there. And uh, everything they have is right there. Everything they own is right there. Uh, I started a conversation with this little girl right here. Go forward one click. And I said, oh, this is your bed. She said, yeah, this is my bed. And I said, pull your cover back. I want to see this nice bed you sleep on every night. Got another click of that? Uh, bamboo? Yeah, it's a bamboo. So it's a big round bamboo, yeah, big as a telephone pole, yeah. broken open yeah. and laid flat. And she's got a blanket laid on top of it. And she's going to sleep for all of her school days right there. Yeah. I, I want you to go home and kneel by your bed tonight and repent, okay? All right, go forward again. All right, here's the student body assembling. Now, um, Johnny, when we got up here, you, you said, come up to Kachai and let's do... Uh, youth, uh, the youth camp, VBS, yeah. and Cornerstone uh, flew Bibles into India, trucked them up the mountain at huge expense. All those kids have gift bags. You can see them peeking out their orange and green. Uh, we gave them stuff, but uh, almost every person in this picture has received Christ as their Savior. Yes. Because of these people. Yes. Because, like, we are living in a very far place, so many people does not want to come in that kind of place. Many people does not want to visit that kind of people. And many people does not want to experience that kind of life because you need to sacrifice a lot. You will not get a good food, you will not get a good bath. When we go there, you will be struggle your life. So, nobody come or nobody come and teach us a Bible, and we don't understand well the Bible. So, when I was in seminary too, I don't understand the Bible too. Just my professor or my teacher told me just ditch Bible even though you guys are listening or not. That's the way how they teach at India. So we don't have the idea of evangelism but the cornerstone teach us when we are in seminary. Same as this village. They don't have a knowledge of the Bible. They don't have anything about salvation but the cornerstones, Andi, Leah, they come, they teach with the color and everything they teach according to step by step. So they got the idea of salvation, and now many of these students are in seminary right now. These ones specifically? Yes, but I personally, I do not know them because they are too young when we met there, but sometimes I got a friend request at Facebook, and they said that I meet you at Gunners, Gunnarsson VPS, and I, when I asked them, where are you? I, he's, somebody said that I'm in seminary, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. So that's how the Gunnarsson influenced toward the tribal people, 
where nobody wants to come and teach us the Word of God. That's how the cornerstone displays the redemptive work of God toward tribal people. That's how the cornerstone displays the providence toward my people. So, that is the fruit. That is the impact of the cornerstone toward my very, very low, low people. They, they call us tribal. So that's, that's why I don't want to use sometimes the word tribal. That's only negative. But not where there is a place where no, nobody wants to go, you guys are there. And pastor has been there for many times. And for me, pastor is my, one of my inspiration spiritual father figure in my life because he, he has been taught many things to me and my firm my belief does not shake wherever i go because i had already put my firm my belief through his teaching not in my seminary teachings back home at india and i start doing evangelizing because of cornerstone before we we don't do evangelizing even though if we are studying in seminary so after learning from cornerstone we approach to the pastor to help us so that we can go and evangelize so the cornerstone happily accept toward our request and we are now saving a thousand a thousand of saving souls toward the tribal people where nobody wants to go where there is no good life where there is no good education where there is no good school but you are sacrificing your time not in vain you're investing a soul out there. You are rescuing a lost soul out there where nobody wants to go. The impact of the tribal people will not reach here because it's too far. There is a big ocean between India and America. So, but when we go there, when we go and enjoy, or when we go there, you will enjoy how the cornerstone impact toward the tribal people. But if you stay here, you will not see, but I want to challenge you guys. Please, when the time permit, go and visit. Like I said, you will not get a good food, you will not get a good bath, but you'll get, you will get a blessed life and you will learn a different world, a different life out there. And you will know how the cornerstone impact toward that people and you will know, well, you recognize how the people are happy about that cornerstone ministry. So I want you guys to go and test, test that life so that God will bless you more. We are, tribal peoples are there to accept Jesus Christ, but there is no one who can teach us. There is lack of teaching people, so please pray for India and when the COVID or when when it's open up, go with Buster. Buster knows everything about my about our people or about our situation. He has been there for a long time, so he knows everything. We will be there to help you guys. We will be there to, to guide you, whatever you want to try toward tribal people. If you go to India and if you enjoy the city, same that life will be the same as American. But I want you to go to the tribal yeah. people, tribal land, so that you will know how we are living. What, when, when was the first exposure to Christianity among the Tonku people? It's nine, the first evangelist called named William Petiru come in 1894, but he has been living without any people more than five years because we don't 
they cannot communicate each other. Nobody speaks English and he cannot speak Tangku. So he's been living alone for seven years or five years. And after that, he met one Kai. And that Kai, gold three guys. The first missionary stayed there for 30 years and he saved only four people. Yeah. And the first missionary taught us Jesus is white. Okay, Paul's right here. So William Pettigrew came 1894. William Pettigrew was a British surveyor, had a burden for the Indian people, was a Christian, he's a Methodist. Yeah, he's a Methodist. Methodists wouldn't support him as a missionary. So a lot of this is about dollars. And so the American Baptist Association, which is the precursor to the Southern Baptists when it was only one, Southern split apart uh, over the issue of slavery. Fortunately, we're on the wrong side of that, all of you Southern Baptists. And uh, the American Baptists were already in existence in America. They predate the Southern Baptists. But the American Baptists picked up Pettigrew as a missionary. So Pettigrew, the Methodist, Scottish? Scottish, yeah. Scottish, Scottish, actually. He's a Scottish Methodist. (laughs) The American Baptists supported him. So when he planted the flag in Ukrul, headquarters of Tonkul tribe, he called himself a Baptist. So you have a Methodist who's a Scottish surveyor in India, teaching these people how to find Christ under the flag of being Baptist. So when you get to India, they're Baptist in a way you won't recognize. Is that fair? It's a messed up thing, okay? All right, so let's talk for a minute. We respect Pettigrew, did great thing, okay? Brought the gospel to your people. Jeremy, you and I were talking about this earlier with Johnny. What did the missionary, what did the white people, how did they mess you guys up? Okay, here, first point. When I look down here right now, you guys are sitting together, families, couples, boys and girls, but back there, they taught us not to sit, not to sit with girls, not to sit, we need to sit different, boys and girls, different. That's how they taught us inside the church. Number two. Because today, if you go to an Indian uh, Tonkul church, tribal church, It'll be men on yeah. this side, women on this side. They will not mix. And yeah. uh, because they have lots of pregnancies happen at church. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not allowed to mix in this way because all kinds of things could happen in church. And so the missionary was super strict with them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even today, Even 120 now. years later, they're still doing it. Yeah. And like number two, like when I see, when I... Look around in Buster House. He hang a lot of deer or horn. Back home, before we do a Christian, we hang our animal horn or animal head in our, in our home as a decoration. But the first ministry come and told us, teach us that that is devil. So he don't allow us to do or make decoration inside our own house with our tradition. But that's number two, and very easy one, number three. False. Do you understand what he said? All of you guys with deer horns hanging on your wall. The white missionaries told them you're worshiping the deer as God. Get it off the wall. You're not allowed to hang that. It's an idol. So he went through all of the homes of the tribal people who were coming to Christ and said, you have to take down everything that's cultural to you, and you can't be culturally you. Okay? Yeah. Like number three, the easiest one, like before we convert into Christian, when we are doing some, when we are doing wedding, we use our own dress. But after Christian, 
the first missionary, William Pedigree, told us that that's not, that's not a good dress for wedding. So he introduced us a white gown and Western suit. The white sound the white count represent as holy. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's what my people believe. So the problem is, instead of going to make disciples, they went to make little Americans yeah. or little Scottish men and women, yeah. little Europeans. Yeah. And this has been the mistake of missionaries around the world, is to impose American yeah. culture on other cultures. There's nothing wrong with their culture that Jesus won't fix. Just give them Jesus and the gospel and let the rest of it work its way out. God forbid we export American culture. Seriously? Well, especially, especially in the name of being biblical. That, that's a really dangerous line, and unfortunately it happens often, where what happens is missions takes the culture of the sending location, sends out the culture in the name of being biblical, and really it has nothing to do with being biblical. It's just aligned to the customs that it's coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Let, me, let me show you a couple of pictures. So we're at Alpha right now. Almost every kid you see is professed Christ through one of our two interactions up at Alpha. Go ahead. They're in their school uniforms. right? Uh, hands up. How many of you received Christ in these VBS? And they're just, uh, the, whole, the whole class is showing you their hands. Go ahead. I just want you to see what the people are like. Here they are in their school uniforms. Here's what's crazy. Here's what's British American being exported. Even though it's a dirt floor, it's a dirt, I mean, everything's just, you see how poor and dirty everything is. Everybody's in school uniform, suit and tie. It's crazy. It's such, it's like, it's a, such a disconnect. Go ahead again, forward. Uh, I, this is one of my favorite pictures. She's got the Bible we gave her. She's so happy. And I see this little girl, one to the right has a pair of black shoes on that are about five sizes too big. And then the girl next to her, you see the girl with the white shirt and the green tie there on the right? Look at her skirt. That skirt was passed down from her 15-year-old sister to her. And she's got one saggy stocking and one tall stocking, and it looks like they're about 10 years old, you know, yeah. just... I love these kids. I just love these kids. I haven't had to live the life they've had to live, but they're, they're, they're the cleanest, most precious, most adorable people you've ever met. They all have this Mongolian eye pulled tight. They're just beautiful. Keep going forward again. When we got to Alpha, the rooms weren't big enough for VBS, so we pried the boards off between the classrooms, threw them out in the yard. There's nothing but a dirt floor, so the kids went into the jungle and picked leaves off the trees and pine needles off the, the trees and threw it down to make carpet on the floor because they're going to have to sit on the floor all week while we teach them about Jesus. Forward. One room, few rooms have benches in them. This is an average high school room right here in India. Yeah. This is what a high school classroom looks like in yeah. India. One chalkboard, wooden benches. All, of, all that material was trucked up the mountains to these kids. Go ahead. Again. Those are your people, John. Yes. That's Again. That's our first students. Go ahead. Hosanna <laughs> to the land who was slain.
Jesus died and rose again. Teenagers are in the back of the room. Little kids are up at the front of the room. About that pole, it starts turning into teenagers. One, one day, we put all the kids outside, brought all the parents up, filled this full of parents, led all the parents to Christ. Yeah. Jump to the next video. just want to show you something. Tonkul is the motherland. They worship... The trees and stone. They worship the tree and stone. God sent us the William Pettigrew family, first missionary, 1894, we heard the gospel for the first time. Yeah. For means 1962. Before anybody heard the gospel yeah. in this village. Yeah. And then you guys show up, start winning the whole village to Christ. Because the people that are there are kind of this Methodist, Baptist, nominal thing. They're really not saved. They know there's a God. They have no idea how to connect to Jesus Christ as personal Savior. You guys show up preaching the gospel, and the teenagers roll out on the village green now, singing the song of Cornerstone Baptist Church, who brought the gospel to us in this modern age. Just let that resonate for a minute, okay? Skip to the next slide. Oh, these guys never stop. do this here some Sunday morning. Can we get the joy? Maybe we need dirt floors to get this happy. I don't know what it is. 
Maybe we need to get, get only one set of clothes and no shoes to be this happy about Jesus. I'm trading my sickness. I'm trading my sins. I'm letting them down for the joy of the world. the Energizer Bunny. They'll sing for days. Go to the next slide. Pause that. We have the bright idea. Oh, pause that a minute. We have the bright idea of what would happen if you sent glow sticks up to Alpha Christian School. They don't have toys. They've never seen a Kim stick, for sure. Shake and break. We trucked boxes of these up. We shipped them in from China. Play a second of this. Hosanna. Yeah. Uh, have you ever seen anybody so happy in all your life? I just want that right there. Okay? What's in this next slide? Let me see what's going forward here. Uh, this is at your Bible college in India. This yeah. is where we met. We yeah. met back in 2005, 6 in this time frame. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's Miss Harrell with... Uh, well, that's Ruth right yeah, there in the middle, true. in the black... Uh, that's Koshil Ning and Ruth. That's Miss Ruth from Kathmandu, Nepal, right there. Susan, when Nepal. Susan had brown hair before she had red hair. Oh, she had blonde six hair. hairs ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, a lot of you in this room have been right here to Bangalore. Johnny, that's you right there. Yeah. Uh, cultural night. Uh, Matt, Stacy, uh, Andy, uh, Percy, Comafay. A lot of you guys have been here at Berea ministering to these Bible college students. Go ahead. One year, Cornerstone gave every student a backpack. You remember this? Yes. In that backpack was a towel. Cold cats. Shampoo. Shampoo. Tell us about the shampoo. Yeah, when the Cornerstone gave us a backpack like that, we never used a shampoo. So we don't know what is shampoo and we don't know how to use a shampoo. (laughs) So that's that's how we live a life. Isn't that crazy? Go ahead. Oh, yeah, students down on their knees at Invitat preached so many sermons there at Berea. And this is where we started meeting people like you. Yeah. Okay, go again. We taught every student. We divided them into twos, spent weeks with them, showing every student how to lead someone to Christ. We told them if the person can't read and you're showing them how to lead someone to Christ, then take your finger and put it on the text. Yeah. And just follow across the page and say, you know, uh, uh, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I would look up and I would see them role playing. She's grabbed her hand. She's taken her finger right across the page. Because if somebody can't read, they don't know if you're telling the truth or not. Yeah. But if you say, see it says, for God so loved the world, and you go like that across the page, they assume you're reading it to them. Okay? Go ahead. Johnny, there we are going. Oh, there's a Tashir High School yeah. right there. Yeah. Nice 5A school. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, Johnny and I have done some big meetings together, all of you guys. Uh, this is his people, UBC. Mm. This is what it looks like when half the choir gets saved. Choir sits on the platform. Deacons sit on the platform. Pastors sit on the platform. We gave the invitation. I looked up and half the choir was getting saved one night. Yeah. What else do you have in this slide? This is the same room. Go ahead, same room. 
You have another shot of this? There's the room. About half the room got saved that night. A couple of thousand people sitting there. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll just let that hang for a minute, okay? Um, I remember that sign nailed to the wall as our group was leaving at uh, Safe Journey. We'll meet you again in the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. How beautiful. Uh, Johnny, getting a crowd in India has never been the problem. Yes. Discipling the crowd is the problem. Yes. Before we dismiss, I want to just read you something. Do you remember how much it costs to make a convert? In 2008, Johnny and the Tongkul students came to Cornerstone. First time we met Johnny, he was student class president. He said, you guys have showed us how to lead souls to Christ. You've taught us how to do camp, VBS. You were the president of the the student student association for Tongkul tribe. You came to us and said, we want to go home and do a youth camp on our break, summer break. You've taught us how to do it. Cornerstone's taught us how to do it. We want to go do it. And we're in the habit of saying yes here. We're in the habit of saying yes here. <laughs> uh, and it was 150,000 rupees, 1 lakh 50. Yeah, 1 lakh 50. 1 lakh 50. That's $3,000 to you. And uh, how many people were going to come? 300. We, and that's we, what you told me? 300, yeah. And you said, uh, I need to raise some money. And you brought the students and introduced them to us. And uh, I, you remember that conversation? You had some band. Tell them what. Tell them yeah. what it was. Because the cornerstone teaches us how how to do the VPS or the youth camp. So we are planning to do the youth camp after learning from your church. So we are making a pen so that we can sell that pen, and we can make a profit, and we can organize a youth camp. That's our plan. So they came to us with a box of ballpoint pens that said Tongkul Tribe youth camp or something pray for us we want to do you know something to raise money yeah here we want to pastor would your church people buy these pins from us so we could raise a few dollars to go do youth camp we told them keep the pins and sell them to somebody else how much money do you need we called in live to the service from the other side of the world and we said we're standing over here in bangalore india we need to raise three thousand dollars in the next ten minutes and cornerstone raised it in five and so we hung the phone up, we told the tribe, the money will be wired, it's on its way, yeah. we'll work that out. Yeah. So now you've got to get back from Bangalore, India, back to the tribe on the border of China, yeah. Myanmar. Myanmar. So tell us what the journey home looks like. So like, when I'm going to start from Bangalore, I need to, I need to travel three days and three nights in train, and one day and one night in a bus, and after that I need to get jeep to get to that place for whole 12 hours. So it took me six days to go in that place to organize this youth camp. Yeah, that's a flight of about an hour and a half, if you can do it in America. took him six days with a group of students to get back to the jungle from where they were. The train is not the bullet train. This is not a sleeper coach. This is not murder on the Orient Express. This is a cattle car full of people. They get to the jungle. You do the youth camp. I have the reports right here, okay? You expected 300. We had at least 300. We had 125 saved. A little over one-third. 
of the teenagers receive Christ. Cost us $3,000. Okay? Yep, that's my number. We were like, wow, that's incredible. You never see one-third of a youth camp get saved. What would happen if we scaled that? So Johnny organized in 2009, I think maybe 10 projects, something like that. One, two, three. Yeah. It cost Cornerstone $23,000. Expected attendance, 4,000. We had 3,883. We led to Christ 1,480 students. A little over a third. We're thinking this is scalable. Now it took us two years with Johnny to figure it out. He's the guy who opened the door for what's about to come. Okay? 2010. We said if 23,000 will get you 1,480 souls, I wonder what $46,000 would do. And Cornerstone sent $46,000 and a team of people to India for a short-term mission project with a disciple and other disciples we had already made on the ground. Actual attendance, 15,095. We led to Christ 5,716 teenagers, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, parents, grandparents. Yeah, 15 years old. Yeah. 2011, we spent $49,994 just on the projects, right out of our missions account here. Actual attendance, 19,350 people at our meetings. That we can count. Yeah, we cannot count a lot. Say that again. Yeah, we, we, we did not get count all the numbers. We missed out many numbers. You this, is, this is one of my favorite memories. At one point, we were doing a, some kind of event. We were in the valley. Thousands of people, just thousands. The night's getting darker. And as the night gets darker, we start seeing lights pop up all, all across the mountains, just for miles, of everyone tuning in, standing outside their houses, standing in front of their community centers and their schools, just to hear what's being proclaimed. And so we know that the reach was just unmeasurable from what we think it was. 2012, 6,577 saved. 2013, 7,095 led to Christ. 2014, 6,724 led to Christ. Now, there's three years I don't have here, but you get the point? From the period, from the five-year period of 2010 to 2014, that five-year run, we led an average of 7,100 Indians to Christ just in this one location. 7,000 a year on a five-year run. We lost count somewhere around the number I have here of decision cards we have is 35,520. I love that you mentioned the decision cards because... In this time especially, people were really skeptical about what was happening and how God was moving in this area specifically. And you like to talk a lot about how oftentimes throughout history we see God moving specifically in certain geographic regions at a particular rate. This was one of those places, and we came back with these incredible stories, and people would say, well, how do you know they're real? And if you've been, you know. We, we have papers 
yeah. of every single person who say, my name is Johnny, yeah. and today I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior in their own handwriting. And there's just no arguing that. Yeah, that's the proof. Yeah. Cost per conversion. You remember the number? $35,526 cost per conversion, $6.56. Can I rest my case on that number? $6.56 per conversion. You guys have the ultimate missions model. Don't trade it for something else. If I drop dead tomorrow, let Jeremy lead. Raise up another group of 20 and 30 year olds. Stay connected to these disciples in foreign countries. Raise up another batch in the foreign country. You're getting old. Yep. <laughs> How old are you? 39. 39. I met yeah. you when you were a baby. Yeah, when I was 24. Okay. There's so much I'd like to say to you, but my time's gone, so let me just end the service this way. $6.56. When you guys give to missions here, it's like a garage sale for souls. You're buying them for a quarter. You know what I'm saying? You have the ultimate investment in the kingdom of God. Everyone's going to pray. Everyone's going to give. Some are going to go. But together as a team, we're going to get this thing done. Now, COVID's and the government of India has not been friendly to us. But, but pause there. The mission hasn't stopped because the mission was making disciples all along. And so we can't go right now, but our disciples are crushing it. Johnny is in America right now doing his uh, doctor of ministry degree at the American Baptist Seminary. Wait for it. In Berkeley, California. Johnny hasn't seen America. He's seen Berkeley, California. He said, this is my first time to escape from Berkeley in, in some years and see what the rest of America is like. I said, take, I met him at the airport and I said, take that mask off. Let's get you a handgun. Let's, let's get you in this pickup truck. Go get you a barbecue sandwich and, and yeah. experience a little heaven on earth reuniting right here in Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh. Johnny's going to, he's writing dissertation. He's all done. He just has to write the dissertation. You're writing the yeah. dissertation on? About my Christology with tradition and culture, about Danku Christology. So he's going to write about how the missionary messed them up and what needs to happen to go forward. It's his dissertation, okay? And I say missionary messed them up. He gave them the gospel. It didn't mess, but you understand. It's got really messed up in the last hundred years and what needs to happen now. Now, here's, here's how I want you to pray. Back when we started this in 2005, 6, 7, we were evangelistic, 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 evangelistic. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we didn't know anything about discipleship. Now we've learned what we didn't know, okay? Johnny is responsible for helping you lead 35,000 people to Christ. He's the one who opened the door for you. Johnny is not steeped in discipleship. For the next year, while he's still here in America, 
we've got to figure out how to disciple Johnny or get into this head and heart. How to take those disciples to the next step, okay? The Baptist Association will be his number one enemy. They will stop him at every opportunity they get from baptizing and making disciples. Right there with the devil will be the Christians fighting us, okay? I want you to be praying about God would pull down strongholds for him. We can't get a visa for India right now. So we're going to raise up a team of young people and start attacking Nicaragua and Cuba and everything else until this door opens back up. It will open back up because God raises kings and he brings down kings. And you can be praying that God would bring down the leader of India while you're praying. And that God would put somebody in there who knows Christ or at least is sympathetic to Christ and would let us get back into the country. Until then, he is Indian. His son has now been born here. He has a blue passport. So God's done a little miracle here like he did for the Marars. Johnny will be able to move back and forth, but we've got to disciple him because while we can't get in, we expect Johnny to go in and start making disciples. And that's now the next phase of this mission. Until we can get back in and help you lead people to Christ, you go round up all those who claim the name of Christ and show them how to make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, until we're all together again. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. All right, there's a little snapshot of your missions program, way over our time limit. Can I say thank you? You can say whatever you want. I, I want to say thank you to all the cornerstone on behalf of the all soul winning kids or adults or parents. And I want to say thank you to Pastor Susan and Hera for your hospitality. And I want to say thank you all congregation of Cornerstone. Please do not forget to work the tribal people. Please help us so that we can make a better life. You can change a tribal life in a better way, in a better life through the gospel. That's, that's our only hope for the tribal people. Because nobody wants to go there, nobody wants to come and teach the right thing, the word of right. So you are there. So still, I want you to, guys, to please remember the word the tribal people so that we can get a blessing through you. And God is using your church in a greater purpose for, for his kingdom toward the tribal people. So please come and test the test of tribal life so that you can, you can also be a bless, blessing through God. Thank you, everyone. Why don't you guys just step to the front row. You guys stand together. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer as we end our service. And uh, Johnny, Jeremy, help Johnny shut his mic down. Can you just bring house lights up just a smidge for me, Steve? Thanks. I appreciate it because I want to be able to see people's eyes here for just a second. Um, he's here on a, on a scholarship from, from the American Baptist, and I'll just choose some words very carefully for ESL speakers right here. He's living in subsistence level lifestyle right now. In one room cottage with a wife and two kids. That's about the size of your bedroom and uh, just uh, on uh, he's eating every day because of the state of California how about that does that answer your questions okay um, he has realized the Tonkul translation of the Bible has a, s several errors in it. it's not been translated correctly and uh, he's going to try to help help guide some of the retranslation into the you know it doesn't say the right things that's a problem uh, he's got to finish his dissertation, do some things. And I said, I asked him the other day, I said, Johnny, do you have any of these old pictures from all of these years together? And he's like, no. He said, I don't have a computer. I don't have anything like that. 
and we're going to take care of that today, okay? So uh, you can text to give, use Church Center app. Is there a missions pull down somewhere right there? There is? There is? Maybe. Maybe? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, anyway, just you, you guys know how to take care of that. Just put a little something extra in today through your electronic giving, and we're going to take care of all of those needs this afternoon. We're going to send him back to uh, Berkeley on Monday, and then we're going to probably see how we can cycle back and connect, just like you do in your small group with him every few weeks, okay? All right, you know what I know. Let's say the Lord's Prayer together, and we're going to be dismissed. It's in Matthew chapter 6. Here's what it says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God's people said, I'll see you Wednesday night for prayer time.